good morning again. <laughs> so yes, I, we're going to look at 2 John, and it's part of one of those books of the Bible that only has one chapter. It has only 13 verses. It doesn't even quite take up half a page of a Bible. It's very short, but it is fully loaded. And so we're going to take a good look at that. But first, let's invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you're a God who has a heart that is tender towards us and that you desire us to know the truth and to embrace that truth fully. So open our eyes, open our ears, so we can see and hear what you are saying to us. Help our minds to fully grasp your word and our hearts to embrace it and follow hard after you. We give you glory and we invite you, Holy Spirit, come here and have your way among us. Amen. So, 2 John, 13 quick little verses. However, there's a lot there to say. And, um, and often when you hear a sermon, they'll move graciously through three points. But I'm just going to tell you those three points straight up front because, you know, normal can eventually become boring. And so let's do it different, right? <laughs> so, 2 John in a nutshell. Here it is. John speaks to us in and he talks about truth, and he talks about love, and then he gives us a warning. So there it is in a nutshell. And this Second John, obviously written by someone by the name of John. And some people like to discuss, now, who is this written to? Well, or written by, well, it was someone named John, but some feel like it's Apostle John, but he says he's John the Elder, and some people think, oh, it's a different John, and some people think it's the same John, but we're not concerned about that. And some people say, well, he's writing to someone called the Chosen Lady and her children. And some people say, well, actually, the Chosen Lady was a church because he used the word, Greek word curia, which means lady, and that lady could, is also what they referred to as a church. They, address the church as female, just like we would say two churches that are connected to each other, that's a sister church, or the bride of Christ. It's in the feminine form. But we're not going to overly concern ourselves with that. What we want to know is what is this message, as he teaches, is about truth and love and this warning. What is the message of Second John, and how does that apply to our lives today? What do we need to know about it? So we're going to look at each of these and see what he has to say with that. But before we do, I want to point out truth and love. These two things, God identifies himself that they are fully and completely in him and him. And so we look first at truth. Jesus, while he was here on earth, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He identified himself as the truth. And the gospel of John starts out that way. It says the word, in the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say, and the Word became flesh, which is Jesus Christ, and dwelt among us. He came to earth and he lived among us. And because Jesus Christ is the message of truth. That's who he is. And later on in the Gospel of John, it says, your Word is truth. And so God identifies himself as being truth. He, he cannot lie. The Bible says God is not able to lie. He, he doesn't. He is truth. He is full truth. It also says that God is love, both in the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. And one place it says is in Psalms 130, verse 7, it says, the Lord is unfailing love. It doesn't say 
that he has or that he shows unfailing love, which indeed he does. He, he shows love and he has love, but he is also love. And is is a being verb. It shows that is very, what consumes him. He is love. And that thought is repeated again in the New Testament. In 1 John, it says, God is love. And so we have this discussion in 2 John about truth and love, both elements of which God is. God is truth. God is love. And we, as God's children, also are growing in truth and love. And because just like physical children, they look like their parents, they act like the parents, they can talk like the parents. Sometimes you see a kid and they're like, oh, look, they're just like them. I mean, look at my boys. They look just like their dad, right? <laughs> I, I might have faded their skin a little bit. But um, other than that, they're so much like their father. But even more importantly, we need to reflect who our father is, our heavenly father. And these two areas of truth and love are essential that we, as God's children, are also beings that grasp and embody truth and love and apply that to every area of our life. Because God's great work in us is that he transform us into his likeness. We don't stay the same. When we become children of God, he begins a changing process in our lives and it transforms us into his likeness. And that's a blessing. Um, so let's take a look at, at first John, I mean at second John and the first verse. That very first verse, John is addressing this lady and her children, be it a small house church or an actual individual woman and her biological children, we're not sure. Um, but either way, the message is there, and he addresses this, whom I love in the truth, as does everyone who knows the truth. They also love her in the truth. So that is important to note that he is putting love and truth together, and he combines that, and he does it several places in the book of 2 John, love and truth are mentioned together. In fact, we can find it all the way through the Bible that these two things go together. We can't separate truth and love. If we try, we have just truth on one hand. It, without love, it's, it becomes very hard to take, and it, it can hurt too deeply. If it's not covered in love and surrounded by love and motivated by love, it can become painful and brutal to a person. And it, it does not achieve what it needs to. In the same way, if you try to take truth away from love and let love stand alone, it ends up going too far. It becomes too permissive. And it, it permits things that aren't, it ends up being a distorted form of love. What we think is love, but doesn't have real value. And our society wants us to do this. And we're told, we're quickly called haters if we, we say, no, that's not the way to live. That's not the lifestyle to choose. We're quickly called haters. It wants us to not only say, um, yeah, you're, you're a valuable person. God created you. But they also want us to approve of their lifestyle, their sin, and also to celebrate what they're doing wrong. But God says, no, you need to hold both truth and love together because the Bible says that broad is the way that leads to destruction, 
But narrow is the way that leads to life, and small is the gate. Love doesn't come and try to broaden the gate to be inclusive to everyone. Love tries to pull people in and say, come, this is the way God wants us to live. This is the way God wants us to, to walk. And it balances out both truth and love. We know that, um, that these two go together so well because in 1 Corinthians, which we call the love chapter, it gives us all kinds of information about love and what love is and what love is not. It says love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it doesn't get angry easily, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs, it doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices in truth. And so we don't try to embrace the lie that, that is there, but we, we speak truth but in love, and we combine the two together because without it, it's no longer love. Love doesn't turn its back on truth. Love pulls towards the truth. And we have examples of this where, where in the Bible there was love shown and then truth was given. And one example of this is Jesus when he's at the well. And this lady come who's caught in a sexual sin, a life of perversion. And, and she's trying to avoid the busy time of the day when there would be too many people to scorn at her. And there she encounters Jesus, who's not really even supposed to talk to her because he's Jew and she's Samaritan. And that doesn't go down well in their culture. And, but he doesn't. He breaks his cultural norms and he starts by acknowledging her, putting worth in her as a person. And she realizes that, hey, you shouldn't even be giving me any attention. But as they talk, Jesus doesn't shy away from the truth. He goes ahead and probes into it, and he asks her some questions. And she says, well, you know, I don't, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you're right, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five. And, and now the one you're with, he's not your husband either. It was, it was a major truth bomb. But that truth, because it was covered and motivated by love, it drew her into God's presence. It made her hungry for God, desire God. And then God used her to reach the whole town. And so if we want to be effective in the kingdom of God, we too need to pull both love and truth together not turn our backs on one or the other, but to balance them and, and fully embrace both of them. I also think of the story in the Old Testament where King David had um, really got himself into a disastrous situation. He had taken his neighbor's wife and got her pregnant and then had him killed to cover up his sin. And it was a disastrous situation, but... God wanted to redeem it, and God can. Even, even in that terrible mess, God came through. He sent Nathan the prophet, and Nathan came with a message for him. Now, David and God had a long-standing relationship, and they had been very close, so he didn't doubt God's love for him. He wrote about it over and over in the Psalms, but it was time for David to have some truth, and God sent Nathan to bring that truth. And as Nathan told the story to capture David's attention and affection, he, he told about a rich man who had lots of sheep, but when he got company, he killed the poor guy's only pet lamb and fed it to his company, his visitors. And that upset David. And David said, that's not right. This justice needs to be done. And then Nathan dropped 
that truth bomb. King David, you are that man. And it made David step back and say, oh, I have sinned. It moved him to repentance. And that is the power of truth in our, in our lives, is it moves us to repentance as well. It doesn't matter what kind of, of trouble we've gotten ourselves into us. God is always there to redeem and to bring us closer to him. <clears throat> so let's move on and look at, at verse 2. Verse 2, John starts to point out that truth is in us. Now, we've already identified that Jesus is truth. He is the message of truth. And that truth lives in us and will be with us forever. So when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we invite Jesus into our lives to be part of us, and he's with us forever. And verse 3 affirms that, but also clarifies it, that that truth, Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. And once again, he's mentioning truth and love together. They need to be together. And so we have this promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. And even when we're going through hard times, that valley, the shadow of death, we don't need to fear any evil because he is with us and he will bring comfort to us in those times. So whatever the world may throw at us, he is there for us. He is with us. He is in us. And he's there to, for us to consult as well because he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts replies to, calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth multiple times. And that spirit, when he lives in us, we can consult him. He's there as a counselor to us. So when we are struggling with a situation, what is true in this situation? Who is telling the truth? Is this person telling truth? We can always step back and just say, God, help me in this situation. I need to know what's true. And that's very important for us that we would know what truth is so that we can base our, our lives. As we move on to verse 4, um, John starts putting this, like he's noting that the children of this lady, be it the members of the church or, or the children, the biological children of this this lady. He's saying some of them are walking in truth, and it gives them great joy. But what I want to point out here is that he used the word walking, and walking is an action verb. It's actually doing something. So we don't just have truth intellectually in our heads, but we apply it to our lives in such a way that impacts every area of our life. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we speak. It changes our attitude. It changes our choice and action. And it, it changes the way we relate to other people because it is movement. It's not dormant. It doesn't stay in one place. It's applied to our life, and we move forward. And John uses this word walking in another way here. He starts talking about love again. And he says, you know, I'm not going to give you an, a new commandment. It's an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. And this commandment is that you love one another. And then he says, this is what love is. It's that you walk in obedience to his commands, and those commands are to walk in love. So he uses the word walk in three different areas. Walk in truth, walk in obedience, and walk in love. So all three of those are so important that we apply them to every area of our life and not just to our brain in the intellectual sense that we know what truth is and that we have understand love and we know it's important for us to obey, but that we actually do them. They impact every area of our life. 
In the book of James, it says that we shouldn't just be hearers of the word. We don't merely listen to the word because if we only listen to it, then we're just deceiving ourselves, thinking, oh, that's good to know. But we also need to do what it says. It's kind of like if somebody comes to church, they hear God's word, and they think, okay, I've done that for the week, I've done my religious duty, and now I'm off to go do what I want the rest of the week, live how I please. That's only deceiving yourself. It makes you feel good, like you did something right for God, but in reality, you're still living in the same dark way. To really understand that, we've got to apply it and let it impact every area of our life and we move forward and we, we walk it out in our everyday life. And we're told to run with perseverance the race marked off, but it says to throw off everything that hinders. So we do that and we, we commit ourselves to truth and obeying God and his commands, which is to walk in love. So up to this point in the small one chapter of Second John, we are, see that he's really encouraging us to be full of truth, to know the truth, and to walk in it, and to love, and to be obedient. And so that's encouraging. But at this point, something shifts in the book. And by chapter se- uh, verse 7, um, he's saying, I want to explain to you why I'm writing this. He's, and he points out, I'm saying this, because the many deceivers have gone out into the world. And that they deny Jesus Christ has come into the flesh, in the flesh. And he says, such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. So when he uses the word antichrist, it doesn't mean the antichrist of the book of Revelation in the end of time, but it means antichrist means anybody who is antichrist, against Christ. And they... There are people who have purposely gone out to destroy and deceive people. In, at that time when John wrote this, there were people going out and trying to convince the new believers that they were being led astray by this doctrine. And they were trying to get them to denounce their faith in Christ, saying that Jesus hadn't come or that he wasn't from God. And they were trying to pull him away. And so John feels the need to offer this warning, be careful. There are deceivers out there. There are antichrists out there, people who are against Christ. And so as I looked at this, and I think, how does this apply to our life? I I thought about times where I've met people who said, oh, I'm I'm an atheist. I don't believe in Christ and God. And occasionally you meet some. I don't know where all your circles go and what you encounter in your daily life, but there are those people out there who, who don't believe in God. There are also people who say, yeah, I believe God exists, but he's not involved personally in our life. And that may be that they haven't seen a true example of someone walking fully in what Christ has for them in truth and in love because they haven't encountered that yet. They're just waiting till their time where they can encounter the true meaning of and who God is. We also encounter some people who say that, well, maybe Jesus was just a historical person who was good, or he's just a prophet. But we know that he is the truth and that he is the way. But how would John, if John was to write us today, what would he warn us about? Well, there's lots in our society today that we need to be warned about. Perhaps he would have warned us that, you know, there's a movement by people who, who say they're Christian to remove 
the Apostle Paul to cancel him. Because you know cancel culture is real (laughs) these days. Um, But there's a movement by people who say they're Christians to cancel Paul in every book of the Bible, remove it from the Bible. And we can't endorse that. Maybe he would warn us about that. Or maybe he would warn us about people who are attempting to deceive the world. The one person that I think of most when I think about deceivers and antichrist would be Yuval Noah Harari. And I'm not sure how wealthy people may know him because he's kind of like, you know, the guy behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz. You don't see much of him, but he's pulling a lot of strings because this guy that I'm referring to, Yuval Noah Harari, he has a lot of contacts around the world, and he influences a lot of very rich and famous people, a lot of governments around the world. He interacts. In fact, he is so-called the spiritual advisor of Klaus Schwab, who, of the World Economic Forum. And so they have this thing going between them, as well as with George Soros. And I don't want you just to feel like, oh, that's way over on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. That has nothing to do with me here in Greenwood, Delaware. Because it does. Because this guy, Yuval Noah Harari, he is also spends time in the United States. He lives in Israel, but he travels the world and he gives lots of uh, speeches, especially in universities, where we send our young people to become so-called educated. And he is a best time, New York Times bestseller with multiple books. And those books sell by the millions. And they have concerning material in them that we need to be aware of. And we need to warn our students before they go off to college that his doctrines have infiltrated the textbooks and that they will probably be required at some point to read one of his books. But even more, those to connect it even closer to how influential this little guy behind the curtain is, is that he is considered a prophet to many politicians, and wealthy influencers, influencers in America, people like um, Barack Obama, people like um, Mark Zuckerberg, and um, Bill Gates, they all refer to him as the prophet. And a prophet is a person who is spiritually gives insight and direction. And so I'm going to have this clip played, but... Um, Keep that in mind. Listen to him, and you'll know why I keep a suspicious eye out on this guy. He is most certainly classified as a false prophet. We need not just to monitor people. We need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. We now see mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin. Now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet, Above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. 
We are requiring, for instance, the, the power to re-engineer life. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. I mean, all this story about Jesus rising from the dead and being the son of God, this is fake news. Yes, that, that last comment he said, Jesus rising from the dead, fake news, we know that is most certainly a false prophet. He fits the perfect definition of a false prophet. And yet his doctrine is being taught in so many nations around the world, in so many universities, that I think if, if John was to write us as a church today, the American church or the church around the world, that perhaps this would be who he'd warn us about. To be on guard against those teachings... This guy, you all know, Harari, he's deep into artificial intelligence, and, and that's what he's planning. He's, he's planning to have the Bible rewritten by artificial intelligence. I don't think I'm going to bother reading it if he thinks Jesus Christ is fake news. So we need to be on guard against this, and certainly there's many um, false things that we need to be aware of and alert. And I know that's a bit heavy of a clip because it just goes against the very thing we believe. But we don't need to have fear because perfect love drives out fear. And we've already been instructed. The whole reason John was, was writing this was to say, here's how you handle this. Those deceivers, those antichrists, you walk in love, you walk in truth. And you walk in obedience. This is the answer. And he goes on to say, so what shall we do with these deceivers and antichrists? Well, there's three steps. One, you watch out that you don't lose for what, what you worked for. That salvation that we have obtained. That knowledge of who Jesus is. What it is to walk in his love and his truth. We hold on to that. And we hold on for all we're worth. And we also share it with others. Because that is what we need. That truth gives us a solid foundation. That love grounds us so deeply and holds our hearts so tightly that we cannot falter. He, John also says to the church, don't welcome them in. So they had house churches then. They, he said, don't let them in your homes. Don't, don't welcome these kind of people in. They just want to talk you into it. And I think that that's kind of the same idea. It would be like, you know, don't give them too much attention. Don't feed yourself their doctrine. Don't entertain those thoughts. Don't give them the time of day. Don't go there. You cling to the truth. You hold on to what is right. And third, he said, Continue in the teachings of Christ, and those teachings are walk in truth, walk in love, which is walking in obedience. We know that, that in Peter, he said that Satan is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and that they, he should be resisted, and that we should stand firm in our faith. But even so, that's just not for, old, for the Bible times. That's for today. Satan is still out there. He's still roaming around looking for whom he can devour. And we're on his hit list because we identify with his opposition, God, the creator, the one he's trying to destroy. But we can resist him standing the first in our faith. 
And God has given us everything we need. He's given us salvation, which he says is kind of like a helmet. It, it, it covers us. It gives us a shield. And we, as we accept Christ, we become, we accept his righteousness. Because our own righteousness is as filthy rags. But the righteousness of God is like a breastplate to us. It protects our hearts, our lungs. We can breathe because of his righteousness. That is like a breastplate on us. And we have faith in Christ and in the truth that we know he's teaching us in his word. And that, that faith is like a shield for us that can extinguish all the fiery darts that the devil aims at us. He also gave us the sword of the spirit, which is God's word, and we can use it to fight against. We speak this because this is truth. And as it comes out of our mouth and the word of our testimony, we will be overcomers because we know the truth is Christ has won the victory. And it doesn't matter what Satan throws at us. It doesn't matter what kind of doctrine somebody is trying to teach at the universities or influence government with. We know the truth, and we know that Jesus Christ has won. We know that he is the truth, the way, and the life. We know that in him all things work out together for good for those who love him. And we can rejoice in that. Furthermore, we have the belt of truth, which completely wraps around us. It holds all of our clothing in place where we need them. And spiritually speaking, truth grounds us and it holds us together. We need to embrace that. And just as that belt goes all the way around us, so truth of God goes all the way around us. Everywhere we look, whether we look to the right or to the left, we have surrounded ourselves with the truth of Christ. And this truth is essential in a time where um, we have seen the anti-propaganda laws canceled 10 years ago, and they signed the Smith Modernization Act into law, which permits propaganda in three areas of our society. It says the government, U.S. government can use propaganda in our entertainment, in our education, and in our media. And so sometimes it's hard for us to, to cipher out what is truth, what where, who do we believe? What voices do we believe? We know we can believe the word of God. It is truth. Jesus Christ is the way and the truth, and he is love. And if we walk in his truth and his love, we will not falter. We will not go to the right. We will not go to the left. We will remain faithful and strong, and we will be the overcomers. We don't want to be like Pilate, who when Jesus was brought to trial, he looked at the person, the truth himself, Jesus Christ standing there as the way, the truth, the life. And Pilate asked, well, what is truth? No, we don't need to stop and ask. We know Jesus Christ. We know what truth is and we know what his love for us is and we know what he has in, in store for us because of his great love that passes all understanding. So I'd like to invite those who are on the prayer team to come forward and if maybe there's some area in your life where you're saying you know I need to know more truth I need to walk deeper in love some of us we we struggle we we tend to err either we emphasize more truth or we emphasize love which too much can become permissive and if you're seeing in your life that that you need a better balance 
Or maybe you need to understand love better or you need to understand truth better. Or maybe you've made a mistake and you're aware like, I, I believe something that wasn't right. Or maybe you're confused by the time we live in and you're saying, I, I don't know, you know, I, I thought this was, um, this Build Back Better thing was written by that guy Biden. I thought it was his plan. But now I just found out that all the G20 countries have all the exact same plan. I really doubt if he wrote it for all 20 G nations. Did he really write it? And we're confused. We don't know what to believe. If you just need to seek God, God doesn't care what situation you are questioning, what it is. Maybe maybe it's somebody in your family and you're doubting they're telling you the truth and you need clarity on that. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. That spirit of truth that it talks about in Acts. When we receive him, he's there to guide us into all truth in all areas of life. There's nothing that's off bounds from the Holy Spirit. We give him full reign in every area. And if there's one area you want to say, look, I am struggling with this concept. I'm not sure what to believe. Come forward for prayer. And have someone pray with you because when two or three are gathered and we ask for anything in his name, he hears us and he will answer when we ask in faith. Maybe some of you are struggling with truth about yourself. Maybe you feel like, you know, I'm kind of like in a hot mess like King David was, but I know that God can redeem you. And so if you find yourself in a situation and you need to know God's truth in that situation where you're struggling with, your, with what you've done in the past and it's marked you, you struggle to accept yourself, you struggled with accepting Christ's forgiveness, come forward and have someone pray with you with that because we can agree with it and our prayers will be more effective together. And maybe you're, you're, you're struggling with identity you feel like you're not worth anything or you have nothing to offer the world or that you're just too full of mistakes and, and frustration. God doesn't see you that way and he wants you to understand his love for you and that he vows, values you as a person. If you're struggling in that area, come forward and have someone pray with you that your heart will be tender and open to receive his love, to see yourself as he sees you. So whether you are hurt or whatever situation you may be facing in your life, let us someone pray with you this morning. Surely life has thrown a lot at us over the last few years, and at times it may have felt like we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but we have no need to fear because the truth and love of God himself is with us.